0: Ready. Okay, good afternoon, or good evening, or good morning. Welcome. Well, the internet has shown us how much of a concept it is, morning, afternoon, evening. Or maybe it's me living in my room. I don't go outside, so... Morning, noon, and night don't have as much meaning anymore. But talking to people all over the world has the same effect. You start to realize, it's, I mean, it's not a very profound thing, but there's a profundity in how much of our lives and our perceptions of things are conventional and subjective leads a lot of people to think that there's no such thing as objective reality. A lot of, there's a lot of, you hear a lot of talk about how reality is subjective, truth is subjective. Makes a nice mantra for people. Seems right, no? Seems useful. And it's true that most truth is subjective. I, I get the sentiment behind it. It's just not true that all truth is subjective. There are objective truths. Or there are truths which are true no matter what. If that means objective, I don't know. But it's, it's still subjective in the sense that it's dependent on you realizing them. But it doesn't change from person to person. Most importantly, the truths are the four noble truths. But there's also the simple truth of experience. Cogito ergo sum. There is existence because of experience. Cognition, consciousness, that's true. It's a problem for scientists because it's an inconvenient truth. it creates a, a fundamental truth that is subjective. Right? Where the, the idea in material science is that all fundamental truths should be objective, should be impersonal, outside of the subjectivity of experience. It's inconvenient that experience should somehow be uh incontrovertible or unchanging or, or fundamental. There should be some something fundamental about experience. It would be nice if we could just erase it all or call it uh, an emergent phenomenon of matter or something like that, like as though consciousness were just something that came out of matter. It's inconvenient to think or to, to experience it from the other way around that the only reason There's any sort of experience, there's only any sort of conception or or observation of the impersonal is through the personal. Meaning you need to experience things in order to verify the existence of anything outside of your experience, like the world around, the physical world, and so on. All right, anyway. We're here to. Investigate and understand experiential reality to find the truth. The truth is within you. You're not going to find the truth in anything I say. The best something the best someone like me can do for you is to guide you towards finding that truth inside yourself. Hopefully I have the ability and the capacity and I'm able to do that for you, that that'd be great but ultimately you have to find it inside yourself. So we begin this session by closing our eyes. Shifting our perception away from people and places and things and concepts, shifting it to an observation of experiences, seeing, hearing, smelling, Tasting, feeling, thinking. And watching as they arise and cease. Observing our, our interactions with our experiences, our reactions to them. Maybe we we'll like them or dislike them. Observing our state of mind as we experience things. Maybe we're excited and restless or maybe we're tired and drowsy. Maybe we're confused. Maybe we're happy, maybe we're unhappy. And all the physical sensations associated with them, maybe we're hot or cold. Maybe we feel pressure in parts of the body or hardness, softness. That's about it focus on that, you'll see so many things about yourself, about how your mind works, about your experience and reality. There's so much to learn. So much to so much to learn and so very little. It's not like we have to go traveling the world or the stars. You know, how big the universe is, how, how much exploring there is to be done. Even even this earth how much of this earth we haven't explored? The earth is thousands of kilometers thick, right? The kilometers is it? I think it's thousands of kilometers thick, yes. We've never even explored a fraction of that. They just found out something about the center of the earth that they didn't know. I was reading. Oh even this earth we don't know. So many things. None of that we have to learn about. None of that is necessary. There's so much in the conceptual world, but in experiential reality, there's only seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking, and our reactions, our perceptions of that. All right. So if you have questions... While you're meditating, you can open your eyes, post a question, but then go back to observing your own experience. If we get to your question, great. If we don't, well, it's still great because you're focusing on reality and your experience. You're learning. You're meditating. You're growing as a person, as an individual. You're straightening out your own mind. All right, and Shraddha is here to help again. I think we've got it all sorted out this time. Should be smoother even than last time. So if you're ready, Shraddha, I'm ready. Okay.
1: Is it okay to omit the ing after a mantra? Sometimes things happen too fast and the full mantra can't keep up.
0: Yes, that's possible. Uh, don't try and keep up with everything Just pick something that is most clear Most prevalent, prominent And note it Once it's gone, go back to the rising and falling But in certain cases, especially with like the rising and falling Sometimes it's very short, shallow, very short And so you can say, rise, fall, rise, fall Usually you should use the ing, though Don't drop it as a rule Just sometimes but on the other hand, don't try and keep up. Don't really run after things, it's not helpful.
1: Monte, is it impossible to regret prioritizing meditation over worldly desire? It's
0: an odd phrasing. I think if I'm gonna rephrase that, it means, Is there any disadvantage to prioritizing meditation over worldly desire? Because, of course, we regret lots of things, and we sometimes regret things that we shouldn't regret, right? So, of course, it's possible to regret anything, but is it proper to regret? Will it ever be a reason? Will I ever have a good reason to regret prioritizing meditation over worldly desire? No. No, it's a very specific question. Worldly desire? No. Worldly affairs? is a more interesting question. But worldly desire, no. Desire is never useful. If you can somehow change your mind so that you move away from desire and towards objectivity, towards contentment, you'll never regret that. Now, maybe times where worldly affairs that don't have to do with desire specifically are are necessary because they can be very important to keeping you in a... In meditation practice. But it seems you're sort of asking about whether you might ever regret taking up the spiritual practice in the first place, as opposed to going, like, might I might I become so enlightened, very enlightened, and then eventually I say, oh, crap, I've lost all those desires. I, I wanted all those. <laughs> right? Now, because, and it's, a, it's something that isn't often understood, is that you don't cut off desire or like turn it off or make a decision like a hard decision it's a very difficult decision to right it's not like that you don't make some difficult decision to give up desire the only way you give it up is by seeing seeing that the things that you are desiring are not worth desiring that they have no benefit to them there's no good come that comes from getting them there's no benefit from them Because that's how desire works. Desire only arises when there's a sense of a benefit. And so you'll never regret giving up the things that you've come to know are of no value to you. That's the only way desire is so uprooted. So it's not something you have to worry about, like, oops, I gave up something I didn't want to give up. That's an oxymoron. Or something like that.
1: Mante, please guide us on correct with this conduct regarding current societal assertions. Example, it's not enough to be quietly non racist. Now is the time to be vocally anti racist or to be silent is to be complicit.
0: I think I think i'm in agreement with that sort of assertion Uh, i think some buddhists might be critical and say hey i've seen a monk get in trouble for calling out racists and someone said hey you should just be quiet you're a monk (laughs) Um, and and okay so as a monk i'm not sure i think as a monk there is room to be quiet i don't think you I, i think people probably will but shouldn't fault monks for not getting so involved in protests and so on and if a monk decides to get involved i'm not sure that they're wrong to do so i'm just not sure that they're right to do so but i think at any rate it's different for monks Um, for buddhists uh, i think i am in agreement with the fact that if you're in society and there is a movement and it is the time to speak up you should speak up as buddhists if you're a part of society get out there tell people the truth speaking the truth is a good thing you know, it's not just not telling lies. You know, telling lies is a bad thing. But actually telling the truth and setting the record straight when the record is not straight is very important. It's important for monks, but it's important for monks in a monastic level. We live in monasteries, and so we try to seclude ourselves from the society, not get involved. And what that means is, I mean, the, the positive side of that is it gives us an opportunity to speak as objective outsiders, you know I'm not anti this person or anti that person. I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. I'm not a liberal or a conservative. I'm I'm a monk, so I can talk about everyone. I, I and and the only way I can do that is if I don't say, "Oh, I think this person's evil," and I'm I'm, I'm I think you should vote for that person, or so on, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I can't do that, so. Um, but, but for those of you who are not monastics you're in society uh, You have, so I have that, that responsibility within a monastery you know, if a monk does wrong things or so on I have to speak up you have a responsibility in society even as Buddhists I think so I'm in agreement now that being said you're You're going to run into a different conflict, and that's about whether you should get angry or not and That's where we draw the line. I think drawing the line between drawing the line at not getting involved is I think wrong, or I think there could be an argument made for criticism of people who live in society who don't speak up when they see injustice and so on. You should speak up, but you should speak up with mindfulness and with wisdom. And the whole, now is the time to get angry, I don't agree that. That's, of course, antithetical to Buddhism. Now is the time to be vocally anti-racist? Yeah, I think there's room for that. If you decide not to, I'm not going to hold it against you. I think there's also room for the difference of characters, because that goes for monks as well. Some monastics are more involved, some are less involved in the monastery. You know, Some are reclusive, they live in the forest, some live in large monasteries, and all of that was okay by the Buddha. So if you're a person who doesn't feel comfortable speaking out, well, you know, do what you do, do what you think. Don't feel you you have to live your life the way other people do, right? But as far as the doctrine goes, I think there's absolutely room for being in this example vocally not anti-racist. Yes, racism is wrong. Yes, anyone that is racist is doing the wrong thing. This is wrong and it should stop. I mean, I I think the whole trying to force change can be problematic, right? But I think mindfulness will guide you in that regard. I think it is an important statement to make as a Buddhist monk, as Buddhists, that telling the truth is a good thing. And if you want to do the right thing, you should speak the truth when called upon. You should speak the truth when it's your, your duty or your role, when it fits your role, like you're in a social circle. Suppose you have a circle of friends and someone is being racist and it's, pro- it's I think it's proper if you feel it's safe to do so, to, to speak up. So I think in the context of these questions that are going around that, that's where the distinction goes. To do anything you do with the power of truth and avoid the weakness and the debilitating qualities and the Inflammatory qualities of anger, arrogance. I don't deserve this. Don't make it about yourself. Of course, I'm white, so it's not about me. And a lot, a lot of the times. Um, but I, I, you know, well, it's not. I mean, it's hard because who am I to say I'm? It's not me. Uh, and also, I'm a monk, so maybe I, people say, "Oh, you shouldn't get involved because you're a monk." All I can say is that anger and arrogance are never good. And if you make it about yourself, I don't deserve this, I don't deserve that, you're just going to hurt yourself. You're cultivating bad habits. So, so I mean, it's not that I'm going to denounce you or hate you for it, but if someone is like that, someone's very getting angry, it is the truth to tell them, look, that's not good for you, and that's not good for the situation, and it's not going to bring the good results that you think it might, or the results that you think it might maybe aren't good, you're maybe not looking at the broader picture of your own mental health and physical health and so on and just peace and, of society and I, I think we have examples of that throughout history of, of how it's worked when people have, didn't resort to anger and and pride and and the whole uh, I don't deserve, I do deserve and so on uh, like G- Gandhi Although, you know, whatever good he, what good he did, whatever good he did, he may have done, uh, Martin Luther King, the Buddha, <laughs> maybe even you could include Jesus in there. I think you could. Jesus did a lot of good. I think in in his own way. In terms of changing people's, per perspectives. I think that's different from Christianity. I think that's debatable what good that's done, but I think Jesus' philosophies are pretty good. Besides the whole God thing, that was unfortunate.
1: Is enlightenment a form of awareness or is there more to it?
0: We're just sort of talking about that this morning in our study group. Enlightenment is freedom from ignorance. That's what enlightenment means. So, And that's a good way of phrasing it because it implies that you need to learn something. You need to create knowledge and understanding. Enlightenment is not the default. I know some Buddhist sects try to claim that, that it is, it isn't. Enlightenment is a thing that is totally extrinsic to our, to our ordinary nature. Our ordinary nature, our basic nature is one of ignorance. That's the big problem. And, and ignorance didn't start you can't say how did i become ignorant where did i go wrong it's not like that that's you know that's the definition of ignorance if there's something you don't know you didn't ever know it right and that's the that's the way it is enlightenment is about coming to know things that you didn't know coming to understand things that you didn't understand
1: But they how to be optimistic in all
0: situations. I don't teach people how to become optimistic in all situations. I think that's problematic in, its, in itself. Because if you're always optimistic, you're often going to be deluding yourself. You're often going to be disappointed. No, I suppose if you were always optimistic, if that could somehow be possible, you wouldn't never be disappointed don't think it's possible be i mean i talked with my mother about this cuz she believes in that sort of thing but there's a distinction and she made a good distinction so when we talk about optimism we, we there's two let's let's look at it two ways one you can um believe that uh, that good things are going to happen right if that's your sort of optimism like good things are going to come from this then you're going to be disappointed. I think it's delusional and so on. Um, but if you are trying to see the good in everything, trying to look at everything in a way that is useful and helpful, I think there's room for that. I don't think it's quite how we would put it as Buddhism, uh, as Buddhists in Buddhism. We're more of the perspective that we're trying to understand things. And when you see things clearly as they are, it's not even so much about seeing the good, but, but you have a good perspective on everything. You have a perspective that is wholesome, that is healthy, that is beneficial, that does lead to good things, right? It's not so much a perspective of this will lead to good things, it's a perspective that will actually lead to good things. Find a perspective that actually does allow you to experience anything in such a way that the, the results are positive, the results are beneficial, the results are right. And to do that, you need wisdom. I mean, it's, it's just a different, I think it's a different way of looking at it. Optimism is not the right word, I don't think.
1: I saw the walking meditation video. Aside from noting the stepping of the foot, do we still note the other senses as well? that we note in sitting meditation, thinking, seeing, the breath, etc.
0: Not the breath, but if there's something that distracts you, one of the six senses, you can stop walking and note that, like hearing, if there's a loud noise, hearing, hearing. But stop walking first. And once it's gone, go back. Once it's either gone or you've had enough of it, after a while it might just be less attractive to the mind you can sort of get a sense that after a while it's okay to go back to the walking again
1: could mindfulness give rise to a heightened state of the present some activities like rock climbing or skydiving gives a heightened sense of the present
0: Yeah, I suppose so. I think there's um there's some physical aspects there, like adrenaline or so on. Uh, like rock, I used to do rock climbing. Rock climbing may be a little different because uh, it's just it's a it's an activity that teaches you how to be a little bit present in a certain way. Uh, hesitant, it's not exactly the same.
1: explain why meditating with no back support is more beneficial than lying down for example
0: I think it mainly has a lot to do with it mainly has to do with our preset mind states when we're in different positions we live in these positions for so long that our minds switch when we are in a different position. When you sit cross-legged on the floor without any back support, some people find it very hard to see the stomach rising and falling. But as soon as they go on their back, it's very easy. Now, that doesn't have to be the case. It's not actually physiologically necessary because you can also sit straight up and 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 still and really feel the breath. But it has a lot to do with our level of tension in the body, stress, alertness. So the... Pr- biggest problem with lying has nothing to do with intrinsically with lying but it has to do with when you lie down you enter into a sort of a trance ready for sleep state the mind just the brain and the body just switch into that out of habit when you sit against a back support you also are relaxed and so you you become very um uh, lethargic lazy in a sense, complacent, not not as alert as you might be. Now, it doesn't have to be that way. You can train yourself out of it, but you're going to be at a bit of a disadvantage. It's quite advantageous to sit cross-legged without back support for this reason because it keeps you alert, especially in the beginning. That being said, advanced meditators often, or or let's not even say advanced, but as you go along in the practice, you'll find there are times where walking is more useful, or we're sorry, where, where walking is more useful, or where lying is more useful. Walking can be very useful when you're lethargic. Lying can be very useful when you're restless or anxious. But it takes some time to make the state of mind in those positions be meditative, because immediately when you lie down, you're going to switch in. It's very easy to switch into the "I'm going to sleep" state. It's just our programming so you have to train yourself out of that and it takes time to do that whereas oppo- opposed to as a oppo- opposed to, what's that uh, on the other hand uh, when you sit uh, cross-legged without any back support you're you're immediately alert.
1: Is it right action to speak out if you're witnessing another person or animal being
0: harmed? Well, speaking out isn't action, first of all. Right action, right speech only have to do with the absence. And that's important because it's hard to say whether whether any actual speech is right or wrong. The only guideline you have is what not to do. So if you're lying or using harsh speech, to you know, cruel speech for the purpose of hurting someone, that sort of thing, then that's wrong speech. If you speak out and tell the truth, that's right speech. Or that's not wrong speech. I think the point is that it has to be when it's right for you to do it. If it has nothing to do with you, then sometimes it won't be the right thing to do. But if it's your place to to say things, to speak out. Like for example... There are there are these atrocities going on all over the world. Let's say pers- people are animal being people are animals being harmed. Now, if your criteria is just that you are w- witnessing it, well, that's interesting. But if the criteria is simply that someone that it's happening, right? If we just start there. Let's say, do you have a duty to speak out if someone is being harmed? So if you haven't said yet that you're witnessing it, then we're talking about all the. Cruelty that goes on in the world, and it's not right. It's not right because you would be you would be wasting your life trying to fix a situation that you can never fix, and you would end your life not having accomplished much of anything at all. So then, if we add to that, we we'll say, "Well, what if you witness it? Is witnessing it enough of a criteria?" And I would say sometimes maybe, but again, the the, the criteria has to be similar. That is it is it useful? Is it beneficial? Right. It's not proper to say that this act is always going to be the right thing to do. Sometimes the situation makes it so that speaking out is not going to help, is not going to be the right thing. I think there's a strong case for a lot of the times that you witness cruelty and harm. A lot of the times it's going to be the right thing to speak out, especially if it's you know in a social circle that you're engaged in, like one of your friends or relatives or so on. But I think there there has to be a sense of your duty and the rightness of it and your involvement with the situation. Not because it's right, you know, it, it's right to let it happen or it's right for it to continue happening, but simply because the results are not going to be beneficial or, or useful. And if you live your life trying to right all the wrongs in the world, you're never gonna accomplish much of anything at all. Most importantly, your own f- enlightenment, your own freedom from ignorance and your own rightness of mind if you get out there and get angry and, and upset every time something bad happens you're just going to die an angry and upset sort of person and maybe you've stopped some physical cruelty to others but it's a drop in the bucket that'll just disappear over time the, the results of any everything you've done are minuscule if, if any if you change your own mind You've done a greater service to the world than any anything else you could do.
1: While meditating, my mind thinks of all the way people have had hurt me in the past, and then my mind thinks of ways to hurt them, which makes me upset and angry. How should I deal?
0: this is a classic example of why we meditate so i'm not sure if you've read the booklet on how to meditate because you could be practicing anything and calling it meditation i mean it could be very different from what we do if you read the booklet it talks about these sorts of things when you're thinking then you say thinking if you're uh, angry say to yourself angry angry one thing I would point out is that there's a difference between actually thinking of ways to hurt someone and actually wanting to hurt them. Usually they're related. But it's also be, it's also habitual in the sense that the thought just pops up because that's what we're used to having pop up. But there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that thought. When you think, I could hurt this person this way, that way, and the other way, it doesn't mean that you want to. It doesn't mean that you desire to. It doesn't mean that you think they deserve it or you, you wish cruelty upon them just means that's probably means that you used to be like that. you used to be the sort of person who was cruel and vengeful and so on. But as a meditator you have to be able to separate the two so that you don't think there's something wrong with thinking this or thinking that because thoughts are out of your control and they're just from habit. Sometimes the mind comes up with all sorts of ridiculous thoughts and it's nothing to do with what you want to do or anything. so separate out the thoughts and the anger and emotions and so on. But all of those are objects of mindfulness.
1: Mante, is it possible to split the meditation time in two parts, the walking in the morning and the sitting in the evening? Thank you.
0: So I wouldn't do that. Walking and sitting are good together. They They, they, they complement each other. We recommend people to do walking and sitting together if you want to split it, then do half the time you normally would, half in the morning, half in the evening. But, you know, any any meditation you can do is great. So if that's all you can do is some walking in the morning and some sitting in the evening, you are done better than, far better than nothing. You've done a great thing.
1: help up with our meditation of the four idipadas could chanda be cultivated to be maintained at all times
0: the idipadas are kind of a guide a reminder of the qualities that we should be cultivating the qualities that we should have in order to succeed I wouldn't say that you um I would say you, you directly cultivate them. You have to be able to notice when you have or don't have them. You have to remind yourself when you don't have them. You have to be alert. And so if you don't have chanda, then there may be something missing from your life that you have to cultivate. Cultivate that thing and you'll have more chanda. So like reading the Buddha's teachings or thinking about the Buddha's teachings, it will give you more chanda. More intention, more desire to, to practice, more inclination to practice, more comfort or um, contentment with the practice. I think you have to do that with all four idipadas. Suppose your jitta is missing. Suppose you don't have enough interest in, or enough uh, focus on the meditation. You have to remind yourself to keep your mind on it. Okay, maybe I have to meditate more. Maybe I have to be more mindful during my daily life. That will help me with the citta aspect of keeping my mind on the meditation. For example.
1: Is masturbation breaking the no sexual conduct precept?
0: So there's no sex... If you think... So, okay. The third precept for five precepts is only no sexual misconduct which means uh, and it's not just sexual, it's romantic it's romantic involvement with someone who is already involved or when you're already involved with someone, when it breaks a commitment but when you switch to eight precepts, then yes masturbation the third precept switches to celibacy so no sexual conduct whatsoever and then masturbation as well as breaking that.
1: In your walking meditation video, is your pace the optimal speed I should walk?
0: I think it's probably a good guide, but I don't think it's going to be the same for every individual. That being said, it shouldn't vary too much. So if it feels slow, if you think, okay, I'm going to walk really slow, and it, you, you feel like you're doing it slow, it's too slow. If you think to yourself, maybe I should speed up, and you start to speed up, and it feels fast, it's too fast. So you think of my walking step as probably a fairly good guide. I mean, the video is also specifically to show you um, the step. You know, it's an, it's it's demonstra- demonstrative. You know, So it may not be exactly how I would walk when I walk on my own but it shouldn't feel as fast it shouldn't feel slow Um, and most importantly you should be able to see the beginning and the end of the movement not see you should be able to experience Shraddha we've got a we've got a red line under that word. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it was
0: It's gotta be a way to turn that off.
1: Yeah, I did it, but it doesn't turn it off in false for mm-hmm. reason.
0: Um
1: could you throw some light on the parameters?
0: I think I might pass on this one. I'm passed. I might say why it's because it's not really something. I can't answer that. Is this necessary if this is an answer to this question necessary or, or useful or important for your practice? Because um, there's a lot of topics in Buddhism that I could talk about. You could also go and study them on your own, um, but you know, it's the kind of thing that I'd have to talk about. I'd have to give a talk about. So any question like that, I think, could you talk about this? Could you talk about that? Could you talk more about this topic? That would have to be its own talk, and that's a different sort of format from what we're doing here. We're trying to answer questions that are about your practice. That's true. But, but all this theory could be good for your practice, but it's not right for this. Format.
1: if one is doing mindful meditation does one note the difference in each thought or feeling beyond just in how we label them
0: i'm not quite sure what you're referring to but probably not because we're so all, all you need is to just be mindful and not cling to anything. Dwell independent in the world. That's what you really are looking for. The Buddha said, Don't cling to the signs or the particulars. Signs being any kind of um, conceiving about something particulars any details about it none of that not necessary ultimately all we're trying to realize is that everything arises and ceases to some extent that's about it you don't need any you don't need to know any more details about things except that they arise and cease because once you realize that everything is is arising and ceasing and this is something that's it's misleading how simple that sounds once you realize that, and once that's how you perceive everything, that's all it takes to become enlightened. That's all it takes to let, have it, cause the mind to let go and experience cessation of suffering.
1: How common is it to experience a lot of emotion while due to meditating? think this question was phrased differently before that they're new to meditating and they had a lot of emotion mm-hmm. and if that was common
0: so i mean i think the, the 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 impetus of this question is a good one but i mean the question's not really great because you no, know, what does it what difference does it make how common it is but but behind this is the idea of you know what do I do? Um, how to deal with it? And, and I, maybe it's just, maybe these questions just sort of come out of a, they're an expression of one's incapacity or one's concern. It's an expression of concern. Maybe something's wrong. Maybe this isn't common, right? Maybe I'm doing something wrong or, but if it's common, somehow that's reassuring. Shouldn't really be reassuring. Because common things might be very bad, and and the uncommon might be much better, it might be much better if the, if something is uncommon, because that means you've done something that other people weren't able to do, for example. So commonality doesn't really have anything, but this this expression of concern about that. So there's lot there's a lot of, of emotions, and I'm new to meditating, and that creates concern in my mind. Try and just note that concern, any worry that you might have about it. And of course, note the emotions. When you're, there's lots of them, you can say distracted, distracted, overwhelmed is a common one, especially in the beginning.
1: Is not wholesome actions and goodness as much of a temptation as lost in a sensory desire perspective?
0: Is not wholesome actions, aren't they as much of a temptation as that was asking? Wholesome actions, goodness, as much of a temptation as lust and a sensory desire. Pass, pass. I think there might be a question in there, but um, it's, it's, it seems kind of speculative, you know? Like, like, did you really ask that question because you have a problem with your meditation and it needs answering? Maybe I'm too hard on it. I mean, eh. The answer is no, and the answer is even if it was true, it doesn't really matter because they're better than they're good. Craving is bad. Wholesomeness is good. Is it possible to cling to them? Should I worry about being about clinging to them? Like about getting attached to doing good deeds? Maybe, maybe if if it if it becomes an obsession. And if by good deeds you don't include meditation. I mean, often what we have to do in Buddhism is remind people that if your goodness doesn't include mindfulness, it's not true goodness. My teacher was, uh, again and again, went went on about this, how you can't really call it goodness unless it, unless you talk about mindfulness. You can't say you're really talking about mindfulness, about goodness, unless you include a talk about mindfulness. It's It's incomplete. So... If it includes mindfulness, then the answer is no. Let's put it that way.
1: I want to continue to challenge myself, of course, but I'm extremely physically inflexible. At what point do I concede that I can't sit in the full lotus or maybe even the half lotus?
0: The moment when you begin, concede that. Don't try and sit in the full lotus or half lotus. If you can sit cross-legged with one leg in front of the other without your uh, w- without your heel of the front leg underneath, just put the heel of the front leg touching the front of the shin. So not underneath the shin, but just in front of it. That's enough. And if your knees are up high, start, start by sitting with pillows under your knees and that sort of thing. and. Eventually, your your knees will go down, but you never have to get into the full lotus or even the half lotus. Don't worry too much. Challenge yourself mentally rather than physically.
1: Is there such thing as an advanced? meditation method are long periods an example and also if on shorter periods staying perfectly motionless
0: i think i'm gonna pass if you're interested in meditation you're welcome to take an at-home course if you've already done that and you want more and more help and further beyond that we can talk you're welcome to eventually come and do a course here if and when that's possible
1: what if the next few questions they're maybe just talks by themselves or no. You're,
0: you're, you' don't don't be afraid to you know you post them up i'll I'll try and be kind, but I will pass. it doesn't mean I think you're doing anything wrong.
1: There was a question that says what is mindfulness Monte could you put it in a simple word?
0: Mindfulness means to remember or to remind yourself. There's a sense of not just remembering but also reminding yourself because in order to remember you have to remind yourself right or that's that's the method we use to remember and so it means to remember when it's used in meditation it means specifically to remember the present moment or to remember the the reality of the experience as opposed to getting caught up in perception and extrapolation and reaction when you remember when you when you you're with the essence and don't get lost in the details or the results or the extrapolations then you're mindful
1: there was this question it was very long to post all of it but Someone is having problem with having to disinfect everything and Mm. getting stressed about when other people are not doing the same. This is the third part of the question I only posted in. I beat myself up over any Mm. apathy I give into no matter how minor, and I've just been very stressed. In contrast, no one around me is taking remotely as seriously, which is also stressful. Any advice?
0: Well, if you haven't read the booklet, recommend to read it if you're interested in doing an at-home meditation course take it up I mean ultimately mindfulness meditation is going to help you we sometimes cling to our belief in what's right and it makes us do and say and even think things that are in the end not healthy not helpful so when you have a view that you have to do this or have to do that or this is right or that is that that is right clinging to that just causes you more stress and suffering and, and actually creates harm in the long term so focus more on on mindfulness than on this is right that is right must do this must do that because when you're mindful you'll learn what's right and what you should do and shouldn't do and you won't ever have to have any rules for what must be done because mindfulness will keep you in in the right perspective in regards to everything you know, every situation With mindfulness, you're clear about why you're doing things, what is your intention, what's the nature of the situation.
1: to keep mindfulness outside of the sitting practice i keep falling into traps such as why can't my flatmate accept this minimalistic style Hmm.
0: why can't your flatmate accept this minimalistic style it's unfortunate i mean it practice 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 it's the only way practice, inside of sitting practice, and not just sitting, we do walking and sitting. So if you haven't read my booklet, it talks a little bit at the end about keeping mindfulness outside of practice, but there's also walking meditation, which will help, ultimately just practice. Practice guidance with a teacher can help, but ultimately just practice.
1: Your book mentions right view to combat suffering. How do you get right view for more effective meditating?
0: Well, you start out, you have to start with right view. So right view is something you actually need before you start meditating or at the beginning of your meditation, before your meditation can be effective. There's some sort of right view like Keeping the precepts and something that's in line with the precepts involves right view. Like it's wrong to kill, it's wrong to steal, it's wrong to cheat. All of those are, any, any views about the rightness of evil or so on is going to get you in trouble. Uh, any views that are related to self or the soul are going to get you in trouble. God, all of that's going to get you in trouble. It'll keep you from meditating properly. So you need some sort of right view. If you don't have that, it's very hard to begin the meditation course. How do you get it? You get that right view by learning, by studying, uh, by accepting the views of others, the views of the Buddha, the views of Buddhist teachers. You accept them. And once you can accept them, you know, conditionally, you accept them without actually knowing them for yourself. You, you, you align yourself towards them. Because that is what it will allow you to progress in the right direction. It's like turn yourself in the right direction. If if you turn yourself in the wrong direction, no matter how much I teach you how to drive, you're never going to get to the destination. So there is a sort of a right view that you need before you start meditating. But once you start meditating, you 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 cultivate right view as a result of meditation. It's a different level of right view. It's right view about what is suffering, what is the cause of suffering, What is the cessation of suffering? What is the path that leads to the cessation of suffering? You learn that as you go in the practice by being mindful. If you have wrong view, if you have a view that's out of line with the teaching, then you have to resolve that first, either by giving up the teaching, giving up the practice, or by giving up your view. It's one or the other, but they can't coexist. If you have views that are out of line, views like God will save us. God, God is uh, God is in charge, or something like that, or like views about the soul. My soul is eternal. Those are things you're going to have to resolve. They, they you know, they do get resolved through meditation as well. It's not to say that you can't start; you just won't get very far in, until you until you actually uh, give them up. You'll see there's a conflict as you start to be mindful. It's four o'clock, no? Are we ready to finish? See, you've got us ready to end.
1: There are three more questions.
0: Three more good questions? Three more meditation-based questions?
1: Two more meditation. uh, Two more. Not exactly meditation, but...
0: Well, we'll let's take them all and I might pass on the third one. And then we'll end there. So no more asking any any questions you have. You wait for the next session. Thank you.
1: Is meditating on a problem that needs solving in your life valid?
0: Depends what you mean by valid, I suppose. It has nothing to do with the meditation practice that, that we we teach, that we follow. Um Might it be useful? It might be useful in a worldly sense. I think often it's sub, sub. Sort. It's not as good as uh, just being mindful about your feelings, about your sense of it being a problem. You're problematizing it. We problematize things, and when you when you observe that that act of problematizing, worrying about, stressing about craving a solution craving release from the problem that sort of thing wanting to fix everything quite often that's much better far superior to sitting around thinking about it so you're not meditating on it it's a misuse of the word meditation stop it world has we have to we have to put a copyright on the word meditation you can no longer use it to mean what you're saying what you're trying to use it to mean you're using our word. That's our word. Mine, mine, mine. It just means you're, you, the problem is with the word. The word meditation means so many different things that when you use it, you're actually its kind of slippery. You may be trying to slip it in there and say, you know, if I call it meditation, he has to approve of it. No, I don't.
1: How does one overcome a desire for tasty
0: food? Meditate. That's, just, that's I think, quite simply. Um, and it might not be obvious. You know, you think there's got to be a way to overcome it, to just stop wanting it. No. No, you, you just have to be mindful of the desire, mindful of the taste, mindful of the experience of seeing and hearing, you know, to be seeing the food even, you know, thinking about the food. You have to be able to separate all that as well. With any desire, you have to be able to separate the feelings of pleasure, the liking of the feelings, the experiences, which is the taste and the sight and the thought. Those three things you have to be able to separate and and be mindful of each one of them. That's a very important distinction. It's what I talked about in the, the pornography video, which got so many views, is that I finally found a teaching I had, I had thought, you know, I had sat down and thought about this problem and, and saw that there were, there were three distinct parts. And then I read, finally I found the Buddha's teaching and it said exactly that. that's was exactly those three things. That's exactly it. The, 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 exper- the experience, the interaction with the physical, the feeling that comes from it of happiness, pleasure, and then the liking, the desire.
1: The last question is not about meditation but someone is asking uh, what books do you recommend to read to be familiar with Buddhist terminology semantics for beginners?
0: Buddhist terminology, huh? That's a good question in the sense that if you don't know the terminology you just get lost because we're talking a different language. So it's hard to learn how to meditate and for example i mean to some extent it's not you 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 find books and teachings that don't use all that weighty techno weighty terminology and so on i think i think ultimately if you're really interested you have to read the suttas in English and uh, you can read the introductions to the suttas by the by the translators they'll often give detailed explanations of various terms. Ultimately, yeah, read the actual Buddhist teaching because so much of it is available in English and there is so much of it. Try and find a good translator. Unfortunately, the best translators have decided to charge money for their books or, or team up with publishers who charge money for their books, which really says is, is something very unfortunate. It's really a shame. Like... Really a mistake in my mind, and I really don't understand how someone could be you know the really good Buddhist, excellent translator, and somehow miss the fact that you could give it away for free and miss the greatness that comes from giving away it away for free. So I think that I'm happy to criticize that and say that's wrong. On the other hand, there are I think some okay translations that are free. I don't think they're as good, I don't prefer them I prefer the ones that are actually published by wisdom publications in English They're really good translations, it's just a shame that you have to pay for them because you really shouldn't have to, there's no reason We're so indoctrinated into thinking you have to pay for things that paying for things is somehow of benefit We should give things to people who need them and if we thought like that as a society, as a human race, no one would ever have to pay for anything. Paying for something, right? Why should you pay for it if you if you need it, if it's important to you, if you should just get it. Especially things like um, like information, right? There's no need to pay for the information when it can just be copied, because you're not actually taking it, you're just copying it. Of course bhikkhu bodhi should be supported. Because he's doing great work But he is supported Whether he translates or doesn't translate He's being supported The people who make the, the books They should be supported We should support them But that's, that, that can all be done By giving them what they need By sharing I think the world still has enough for everyone More than enough for everyone You know, if we just look in terms of food Totally off track now <laughs> But I'm ranting, okay um if we just look in terms of food we we waste so much food that we could be sharing with people who need it but if we share it with them the prices go down so we lose money hmm? isn't that a sick thing no people are starving to death and we can't share it with them not just because the price goes down it's it's more complicated because of trades and deals and you know price fixing i don't, I don't even i don't i'm not an economist i don't know but there's so many reasons that have nothing to do with anything good or wholesome why we charge money for things why we don't just give things to people who need them we've so overcomplicated and it's been overcomplicated specifically for greed for greed uh, um, through greed by those who don't need anything So so that those who don't need anything can get more, right? that's the whole point that's the whole point of why it is the way it is not because you need money so you have to charge for this that's not why the system is the way it is the system is the way it is so that people who don't need can get more things they don't need anyway, that's my rant so, um, yeah I'd recommend to buy the wisdom publications so it does. or find a free copy which is probably illegal but I'm totally okay with you finding an illegal free copy you can quote me on that and that's all thank you Shraddha for joining for helping Sadhu Sadhu means it is good so it is good I hope it was good I hope you all found that good got good from it We share in the the goodness of this. We've all done a good thing in my mind. I think we've done a good thing today by sharing the Dhamma, by learning and by our appreciation and our interest in the Dhamma and the truth. Be well, everyone.